And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Wednesday, September the 16th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on September 16, 1974, President Gerald Ford, he announced that a conditional amnesty program would be put in place for Vietnam War deserters and draft evaders. Today in 1620, the Mayflower set sail for America. I want to come back to that. I want to share a few thoughts with you on that in a moment. Today in 1893, 50,000 land claims were filed in Oklahoma. The Oklahoma land rush. Free property. Today in 1630, the Massachusetts village of Shawmut changed its name to Boston. Today in 1908, General Motors filed papers for incorporation. Today in 1987, Two dozen countries signed the Montreal Protocol. That was a treaty that was designed to save the Earth's ozone layer. Remember, there was a lot of uh, just really a lot of angst and, and just almost gnashing of teeth by some of the same people that are blaming the forest fires on climate change, totally. But they were saying that we're poking holes in the Earth's layer of ozone. And if we kept poking holes in it with our aerosol cans, that we would all get skin cancer and die. That was 1987. Apparently, um, the Montreal Protocol worked out just fine because here we are. I don't mean to be, <laughs> I don't mean to be trite about it, but boy, these alarmists—they just go off on this climate stuff. Today, in 1994, a federal jury in a Anchorage, Alaska, ordered Exxon Corporation to pay $5 billion in punitive damages for the 1989 Exxon Valdez oil spill. Remember that? U.S. Supreme Court later reduced that amount to $507.5 million from $5 billion. Today in 2001, George W. Bush, President George W. Bush, he said there's no question that Osama bin Laden and his followers were the prime suspects in the September 11 attacks. Bush pledged that the government, our government, would find them, get them running, and hunt them down. Those are his words. Today in 2014, President Barack Obama declared that the Ebola epidemic in West Africa could threaten security around the world. He ordered 3,000 U.S. troops to the, to the region. It's interesting that he referred to the Ebola epidemic as Ebola. That could be racist just like Wuhan virus is racist because Ebola is a river in Africa where the Ebola virus was first found and discovered. And they call it Ebola to this day. I think that, I think they should change that to XYZ equals 123 virus or whatever. You get the point. Also today, many years ago, I will not tell you how many years ago. She would not want me to tell you. But a young lady named Marjorie married a young guy named Gary. It made him very happy. Today is our wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary, honey. You are absolutely the best. Then and now. I love you. September 16. Yeah, we got married on September 16, but not 1620. 
September 16, 1620, 102 passengers. They walked on board a ship. They set sail. It was called the Mayflower. They set sail with the blessings of their pastor, John Robinson. He said, I'll miss you. We'll miss you in our congregation. But Godspeed. Their 66-day journey, 2,750 miles, they encountered storms so rough the beam supporting the main mast cracked. And in their journal, they wrote, the people on the Mayflower, they wrote, they propped it back. That's the main mast. They propped it back in place with a, I'm quoting them, a great iron screw. I guess they brought such things for such a time as this. One youth on that boat, his name was John Howland. The waves were so fierce that he was swept overboard into the freezing ocean, the waves rising, falling. You know how the ocean can get. But they rescued him. They were able to get a rope to him, surprisingly, and get him back on the boat. That man made it to America. And do you know that some of his descendants include Ralph Waldo Emerson, the writer, Humphrey Bogart, the actor, Franklin D. Roosevelt, the president, and George W. Bush, another president. They're all in his relative line. Had he not survived, they wouldn't exist or have existed. Howland was described by his peers in some of the colonial records as, quote, a godly man and an ardent professor in the ways of Christ. During this pilgrim's voyage that started today in Plymouth, England, on the Mayflower, a man died, a mother gave birth. They intended to land in Virginia, but they were blown off course and they ended up in Massachusetts. The weather was so dangerous and so threatening that the captain said, no, we're not going to try to go to Virginia, we're going to stay here. He ordered them to disembark. Once they had their feet on the ground, with no king-appointed person on the, on the trip, they realized that nobody was really in charge officially. So you know what they did? The pilgrims themselves gave themselves authority, kind of a democracy kind of thing, and they created their own government. It's called the Mayflower Compact. Where did they get that idea? Well, they got it from their pastor. John Robinson. He was considered one of the founders of the Congregational Church. He was also a leader and an advocate for people who were wanting to create a new world because he knew their, he knew what their motives were. He knew why they were doing what they were doing. Of the pilgrims landing at Plymouth, Governor William Bradford later wrote, being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean and delivered them from all the perils and miseries thereof, again to set their feet on the firm and stable earth, their proper element. That first winter was tough, really tough. You know about that. We've all heard about it. Some people rejoice that it was tough because they say that we shouldn't have been here in the first place. But of that first winter... Half the people died. Governor William Bradford wrote this, quote, Last and not least, they cherished a great hope and inward zeal of laying good foundations. Why did they do this? Again, quote, 
for the propagation and advance of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in the remote parts of the world. The next time some wide-eyed liberal progressive looks you in the face and says, or your child, and says, this was, this was all about the economy. It was about money. It was not about religious freedom. <clears throat> Excuse me. The people who came here thought it was about religious freedom, and they expressed themselves many times. This is one of them. Bradford wrote extensively about that, even calling this new country, this new world that they were going to create, a shining city on a hill. Some years later, Franklin D. Roosevelt, a descendant of John Hallen, who they pulled out of the ocean and saved his life. Franklin D. Roosevelt, he said on October 28, 1936, regarding America's founding, Democrat Franklin D. Roosevelt, he said, rulers increased their power over the common men. The seamen they sent to find gold found instead the way of escape for the common men from those rulers. What they found over the western horizon was not the silk and jewels of Cathay, but mankind's second chance, a chance to create a new world after he had almost spoiled the old one. This is Franklin D. Roosevelt. Boy, he would even fit in today's Democrat Party, I don't think, at least from a spiritual point of view. And Roosevelt continued. This was October 28, 1936. He said, The Almighty seems purposely to have withheld that second chance until the time when men would most need and appreciate liberty. Those who came had courage to abandon language and relatives, to start without influence, without money. Then he said this, Franklin D. Roosevelt, perhaps Providence did prepare this American continent to be a place of the second chance. Did he believe in manifest destiny? Apparently he did. And so do I, because I believe that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. The people who came to America on that Mayflower were serving God. It is evident throughout everything they said and wrote and did that they put God first. Don't let the left steal that legacy, that heritage from you. And they seek to do that by telling your children or grandchildren how it really was. But that's what happened on this day. It all began on this day. It didn't happen on this day, but it started today. They launched September 16, 1620. You know, there was a big meeting today in Plymouth, England. That was, you know, as the world turns, that was quite a bit earlier than Wednesday the 16th is here today. But anyway, today on the 16th, in England, there was a big meeting of dignitaries at Plymouth. And um, there's a new Mayflower ship. They don't call it the Mayflower. They call it the Mayflower Autonomous, Autonomous Ship. But it's a new Mayflower, and they had planned to launch that ship. And it looks like the old Mayflower, except it's, it's high-tech. They had planned to launch it today. But because of the coronavirus, the, the whole gear up, the run up to the program of launching this thing was has been put back and they're not going to launch it, but they're going to follow the same path that the that the Mayflower, the original Mayflower took across the ocean to what is Plymouth Rock now uh, here in Massachusetts. But um, they, they, they're going to be testing it. 
and it's I think they're going to be using it for kind of propaganda maybe because it's kind of connected to how horrible the colonists treated the Indians and displaced the you know indigenous and so on but there is an element of this that caught my my attention this Adrian Vinken he's the chairman of Britain's Mayflower 400 commemorations 400 years he says that uh, arguably that journey across the sea was the most influential sea voyage in global maritime history. I would say that that is true. It's probably an understatement. It is. It was transformational, not only in history, but for eternity, as far as the kingdom of God and his desires and purposes. But um, anyway, they're launching this new Mayflower, and it is, uh, it's high-tech, as I said. IBM is involved in it. Uh, some other high-tech companies are involved in it. And it will not have anyone on it. It'll just be sailing by itself. It'll be run by remote, like those drones and things, except it'll be a ship at sea. And it's almost ready to go. So when they're going to be testing it uh, over the next 12 months. But a year from today, they're planning to launch that Mayflower, but I think they gave it a new name this morning, and I'm not sure what they called it because it just happened a little while ago, but uh, in in England. But um, anyway, they're going to be launching that. So, you know, well, I, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of have an interest in those things. I think their I think their motives on this new Mayflower is, are a little dubious, to be honest with you. But I'm interested in what they're doing with it. But anyway, it's a ship, and it it looks like the Mayflower, but it's high tech. And it will have no crew, no captain. They'll be driving it from you know, somewhere in England, I guess, or here. I'm not sure where the guy pushing the toggle switch will be, but that's what's going to happen. Well, we won't talk about that anymore, but we'll come back to it at a later date, if indeed it happens, and you and I are still having our conversations. I want to take a moment today to thank you for your support. I have been deeply, and I am every day, deeply involved in what we're saying emotionally and spiritually. I wouldn't be doing this otherwise because it isn't just to have an activity, as you know. I feel very strongly about this. I feel the Lord led me to do this program and to do it the way that we're doing it. been an ordained minister my entire life if you're a new listener. And so my tendency is to read uh, a text and preach a sermon. But what we do every day is we come on here and we look at what's happening in our world that day or, you know, within the last 12, 24, 48 hours. And we talk about that from a biblical perspective because the, the biblical perspective is under attack today. People are claiming to be Christian, and there's a whole bunch of them that are, but they don't act like Christian. And I don't think in the final judgment, which is not mine, it's God's, I don't know that they will measure up to what God has told us that a Christian is and should do but that'll i'm i i leave that to the lord but i talk about what these people are doing as i said often in the name of the lord and what they're not doing and how that religious freedom our faith our ability to serve the lord as these guys on this ship envisioned way back then 400 years ago we talk about how religious freedom and religious liberty is under attack and as I said, we talk about the issues because people who are uninformed are destroyed because of their lack of knowledge. That's a biblical statement, not just mine, but it's true, very, very true to today. Because there is so much deception 
there is so much put forward as truth that isn't truth when you square it up with the Word of God. That's what we try to do every day, and your notes tell me that with some of you at least, hopefully many of you, that resonates and it's helpful to you. If this program is helpful to you and you're not supporting it, I would like to first say thank you to all of you who are. Thank you so much. And to those of you who are not yet supporting it, but you believe in what we're trying to do and what we are doing, I would like to encourage you to do so. You can support us by writing the check. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Or you can go to our website. It's Faith and Freedom. And you just go to faithandfreedom.us, faith, A-N-D, freedom. And the first thing that will come up will be an article that I wrote that particular day, whatever that day is, like today, if you do so. And at the top, you'll see a big dome. It's of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. And beneath that are some tabs. One of them says donate. You click that and you're in. So it's easy. Just follow the prompts. And more and more people are donating to this ministry online. But either way, thank you in advance prayerfully consider helping us by writing a check or by going online. What was supposed to be a whispered in the back rooms thing only has apparently become so commonplace among the Joe Biden and the Kamala Harris and all the team and so on that it's starting to slip. They're starting to say things out loud that I don't think they mean to say, or maybe they do. I don't know what they're thinking, but it's interesting. The Biden team said it out loud to a group of Latino business owners in Arizona on Saturday. Kamala Harris, who is supposed to be running for vice president, told the business group in Arizona of Latinos, she said, a Harris administration will have your back. A Harris administration? I thought we were voting on Joe Biden. Maybe not. Have they already disposed of Joe before the election? I don't think so, but boy, you have to wonder. Or is this merely good planning practices so they can make the transition as smooth as possible after the election, after they win the election? I'm not suggesting that a Harris administration would be worse than a Biden administration, although I think it would be in some respects because she has more energy than he does. And she's more connected to the far, far, far left than he has been in the past although he's worked hard to get over there with Bernie Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez and those folks because he needs their followers to vote for him in just a few days when this election comes up. But Harris and other handlers have been pulling the strings on Biden for some time. Even their own people are saying that now. At first they denied it. They don't anymore. Biden originally said when he named Harris as his running mate, that one of the reasons he chose her was because she is, quote, ready to lead on day one. Well, other presidents have said that about their choice of a vice president. I can remember a couple who I distinctly remember making that statement. But there wasn't this whole kind of a kind of a cloud around it of like, does he really mean that? Like day one or day two, she'll be running our country. I hope not. And I hope he doesn't get to make that choice. But clearly the Democratic Party doesn't agree because Harris did not win enough support from fellow progressives in the primary to even stay in the race. In fact, if you'll recall, she was forced to withdraw from the primaries 
before her home state, California, even voted. She couldn't even hold on long enough to get the votes from her home state. After running a chaotic, disorganized campaign, Senator Harris dropped out of the primaries. She had zero votes and zero delegates. I mean, she had zero. I don't know what her ranking was nationally at the time. It was very, very low. It was probably almost as low as Governor Inslee's running on his climate change platform. But she was not popular among Democrats in the country nationally. She was not even seen as politically viable because they didn't get behind her. They didn't support her. But this unmasking is very interesting. The Arizona Republic is quoting Ms. Harris, Senator Harris, still at this moment, as part of our Build Back Better agenda, quoting her, we will need to make sure you have a president in the White House who actually sees you. A Harris administration, and then she pauses, and then she says, uh, together with Joe Biden, soon after she corrected herself, referring to a Biden-Harris administration, just a couple of sentences later, This wouldn't have meant much if Joe Biden's personal decline was not so obvious to almost anybody that's paying attention. And again, I say that honestly, there's a part of me that really feels sorry for him. I don't know him. I've never met him. But I do feel sorry for him. But he's identified himself a number of times as a placeholder president. Those are his words. And even more as a transition president, as though he's promising people, if you'll elect me, I won't stay in office. I know you wouldn't, I'm not your first choice or whatever, but if you'll just elect me, I just want to be president. He says it's been his lifelong dream to be president of the United States. Well, that's a pretty high ambition, but that is his goal, and that is what drives him, particularly at this stage in his life, because the people closest to him have got to know that he isn't as sharp as he once was. In fact, some of them now are starting to say it out loud and say it not harmfully. I mean, they support him, but they're very concerned about it. Biden furthered speculation as to what he and Harris are up to yesterday afternoon. Joe Biden himself. He was speaking to military veterans in Florida. I don't, yeah, I think he was actually there. I think he actually went down there because the polls are, are really tightening. He had this comfortable lead over Trump, supposedly. And they're really tightening now, and I think he's getting nervous. I know the people handling him are getting very nervous because I've been paying attention to what they're saying. And they're not laughing and yucking it up like they were just a week ago. But anyway, I think he was in in Florida yesterday. So he was talking to these veterans, and he was assuring the veterans that he would help military spouses be able to find employment as they move from place to place because that's important to supplement their their income. So it's a, a real issue to the military people. While he was talking to them yesterday, Biden said, quote, the Harris-Biden administration will relaunch an effort to help your spouses. Harris-Biden? Is he going to trade her job? I mean, if he gets elected, is he going to just be inaugurated and get all the pictures and all the world acclaim and then and then kind of hand it off to her? I, I don't know. But are they, I mean, do they misspeak that often? If so, boy, they, they've read too much Freud. You know, I, I don't know. But a former White House stenographer, Mike McCormick, he was assigned to Joe Biden as vice president to exclusively work with Biden. I, I wasn't aware of this till recent years, but I guess the president and the vice president 
have a stenographer that actually writes by hand, you know, like, I don't know if it's shorthand or whatever, but they write by hand. It's not, they don't take mechanical, I mean, they, they do take recordings, but they, they make a personal, like cursive writing kind of a journal. And that is to, if somebody fiddles with an electronic recording or whatever, that they have this that was written at the moment in, in real time, like a memo to themselves, a journal of what he said and where he was and circumstances. And I guess there's all kinds of information that's noted on that. So this guy, this Mike McCormick, was assigned to Joe Biden for eight years during the Obama-Biden administration. He worked exclusively with him. And he's noting, and he seems to like him, I think he supports him, but he's noting that he has a dramatic cognitive deterioration in the past few months. In fact, this McCormick told the Washington Free Beacon, he said there's a complete difference from what he was in 2017. He said, I'm quoting him, he said he's lost his step and he doesn't seem to have the same mental acuity as he did four years ago. He says he doesn't have the energy, he doesn't have the pace of his speaking, he's a different guy. He also notes that Joe Biden is more and more losing his train of thought. He said, particularly, he said, I, I followed every word for eight years. And he said, particularly, he gets lost during the interviews. He said, that's not Joe Biden anymore. President Biden, President Harris, I wanted to take just a moment today and look at, does that matter? It probably doesn't because we're all praying and planning to vote that neither of them will have to make any decisions along those lines. But I'll tell you, the Hill, which is a left-leaning news organization, not a conservative one, when Joe Biden picked Kamala Harris, they ran a feature story, and I wrote an article about this today, and I included a link to that story. But it, the story began, and they, they, they would support Joe Biden. But this, their story began, poor Joe Biden. This is his third try, but the progressive wing of his party painted him into a narrow no-win quarter with the demand that his vice presidential pick be a woman of color. And then they launch into a whole bunch of reasons why she will be way more far left than he, and I agree with most all of them. And I put that into that article. It's at faithandfreedom.us. I would encourage you to read it because it just strikes you as, even if, even if Biden didn't replace himself with her, should he be elected, and we pray that that does, is not the course that America takes. After our founding, the Mayflower, the Christians, on their knees, praying, thanking God, asking God to bless this country and help them to expand the kingdom of God, and all of the things that are a part of the founding and the identity of this country would be passed off in this election. This is the most important, the most consequential election I believe, perhaps in the history of this nation, certainly since Abraham Lincoln. Again, thank you so much for being with me today. And uh, we'll look forward to taking a look tomorrow at what happens overnight. So thank you again. Thank you for your support. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. And thanks for standing with us. Thanks for your prayers. And thank you for your encouraging comments. I'll see you tomorrow.